Well, we bring you greetings again in the name of Jesus. The one that you have just, you, you, you just sang an awesome commitment. I don't know if you noticed the words of that song. You've just committed to not only live your life for him, my life I give henceforth to live, O Christ, for thee alone. You committed more than what you realized, didn't you? No room for self, no room for other purposes, for Jesus Christ alone. And I know that's truly our desire. Before I get into the message this morning, I have to backtrack a couple steps. Last night, I left a story unfinished. I was using our two-year-old boy, and the night that I could not find him in bed or anywhere, and it was a cold winter's night, and he was not with his siblings, he was not in anyone else's bed, and then I, I used the comparison, I went on. Somebody asked me this morning, where was he? Well, to put you all at ease, children, if you were listening and it concerned you at all, somehow he had crawled under his bed, way in against the wall, and he had drug a blanket in there in front of him, so just looking under the bed, you didn't even immediately see him. We found him, and oh, the joy and the relief. Yeah, there was rejoicing. Just like there is in glory when a sinner repents, I tell you, I felt a, a whole lot better. This morning... I note with interest when I travel what the price of fuel is. And it's just a little bit over $3 a gallon here. $3.15, $3.20, $3.25, somewhere in that range. Last weekend in Mississippi, I saw it for $2.99. Lower prices are coming, at least if they move from the south. But comparing apples to apples, liters to U.S. gallons and Canadian dollars to U.S. dollars, Back home, we're paying just a bit under $5 a gallon. Feel better now? You should. But the one thing that amazes me about the price of fuel is how it's arrived at. What influences the cost of fuel? Fear. Yeah, fear is one thing. There's... there's price of barrel crude oil. So when the price of crude goes up, I notice at the pump immediately the price goes up, and when the price of crude comes down, the price stays up there until they use everything that's in the refineries and in reserve, and then they bring it back down. But the moment it goes back up before they refine it, it's up there. So they have all those reserves that they bought at a lower price. I know, you just have the answer. Um. <laughs> but... What, and fear, wars are fought over it. We're concerned that there's going to be a supply. And why are we concerned about the fact that there's going to be a supply? Because it's not a renewable resource. It's a limited, finite resource. It's not like wood where you can go out there and you can log and eventually the trees will grow up again. There's only so many barrels in this earth. In North America, we are sitting on vast reserves. You've heard all about our dirty tar sands oil up there in Alberta. We, we got oil to, to Ying Yang, and yet we're, we're depleting the Middle East first. We want to use their resources. Okay. Be very easy this morning to get all riled up about the way governments run, the way this world. Brothers and sisters, it's all going to burn anyhow. We don't really care, do we? 
I only preface the surface with this illustration to talk about the fact that resources should be precious. They should be handled properly. And this morning I want to talk about a resource that God has given us that I believe is our most precious resource. Do you want to hazard a guess? Bible is a good one. Our children, our families. Now some of you are starting to think, okay, he's going to preach about family, he's going to preach about children. I'm just going to relax here, lean back, and catch up on my... You had an hour last night to do that, okay? You've got to stay awake this morning. And furthermore, I'm going to tell you that just because I'm going to talk about children this morning and you're not a parent doesn't mean you don't influence the life of a child. Oh, everybody is included in this. You know, teachers are some of the most important influences in children's lives. I, I remember a time in my life, to my shame, when I battled, I battled my teachers. I had to go back later and make some things right. And I know at the time, they must have felt like there's absolutely no hope that whatever they were doing and saying wasn't even beginning to scratch the surface. But you know what? It did. It got through. That's part of the reason why I battled. Young folks, you don't know how much your little brothers and sisters look up to you inside of a church setting. Grandpas, grandmas, those who perhaps... I never had a biological father growing up. I had surrogate fathers. I had one man who never had children of his own that, that was such an awesome father figure to me that, it, once again, I, I digress. We're all included in this. Let's turn to a text. Mark chapter 10. Jesus never had any children while he was here on this earth either. But Jesus said a lot about children and Jesus interacted with children. And here we have a fascinating account of what Jesus did with children. Mark chapter 10, Jesus gives some teaching on marriage, and then we're going to break in at verse 13, and we're going to read a little account here in just several verses. Mark 10, verse 13 to 16. It says, And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily, I send you whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. We'll cease reading there. May the Lord bless this portion of his word. Oh, what a beautiful picture. Jesus picking these children up, laying his hands on them and blessing them. Children. Society says that they value them. Society has children's aid. And yet, why is it that in our nation, if children are really that valuable, people are willing to stop them before they ever get started? Abortion takes place freely. 
because children would be an infringement upon freedom. The woman has a right to choose. To choose what? To choose whether to start or stop life? Oh yes, society values children, do they? You want to get married? Start a family? That's great. Yes, get married. You've got to have a child to have a family. Now you have a child, you've got a family. One. Okay, you can have two children. But dare you to have three or four or, heaven forbid, five or six? You know, the eyeballs start getting bigger. The doors open, the children start pouring out of a van. The world is influencing our perception of the blessing of children. And I say that because I look at the family size we have now compared to a generation ago. Well, Brother Tom, oh, hold on here. The Word of God is where we're going to look for answers today. And let's just see what God has to say about it. You know, if the world really valued children, why is it that homes aren't a priority? Why is it that mom and dad so readily part? Do you know how many children go to sleep at night? Somehow, inside of them, they're, they're torn asunder. Somehow, they believe they're the reason mom and dad can't get along. Children need a secure environment. Mom and dad, I know there's going to be times you disagree. Don't do it in front of your children. It's okay. Sometimes they're going to see you don't agree. And they're going to have to realize that you have to work through things. But children... Often, often, somehow get the negative impression that they're more bother than what they're worth. And why is that? Because that's the priority we give them. That's the priority. If we really want to develop this most precious resource to its full potential, we have to make them a priority. Now, Unfortunately, it's easy to get things out of whack, you know. <laughs> well, they encountered this way back then. Let's go back to the text. Jesus encountered it here. Let's look at what was happening. People were bringing their babies to Jesus to have him touch them. Now, as I understand it, it was a Jewish practice for children to be brought to a respected rabbi, and he would take them up and he would offer a prayer of blessing. And I don't know what you do here. But I think it would be very fitting if we would have dedication, commitment, slash services for our little children. You know, we often do that. Somebody's going to the mission field, right? We'll, we'll, we'll have a dedication service. We'll, we'll commit them to service there. I think it would be great if little babies were brought to church. They came and a prayer of blessing was offered on their life. Mom and dad realizing this is a gift from God. They're going to be responsible to raise this child for God. And asking God's blessing on that child as they follow the path God has laid out for them. I think it would be biblical. We tend to shy away from it because it's a little bit too much like some child baptisms that we don't want to get involved in. But you know, these children were being brought by parents who just simply wanted Jesus to bless them. But Jesus was busy. And I find it very, very interesting here. These disciples, they had no problem with people, with grown-ups, with adults crowding into Jesus. And you've got to remember that back here, children were even 
valued less than what society claims to value them today. You go into some third world countries, children are definitely second rate citizens. They get the leftovers. They survive after everyone else has. Mortality rates are high. Children are abandoned, neglected. Now, the disciples didn't care that Jesus was pressed by adults. But when children, these noisy, crying, I mean, they're probably like babies of the day. They, they were over there turning them away. They said, no, 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 no. And I am amazed at Jesus' reaction. And somehow these disciples, they've been with Jesus for nearly three years now. They should have known better. What was Jesus' reaction? It says when he saw it, he was much displeased. Um, let's translate those English words a little bit better. Children, if mom and dad are much displeased, what are they like? They're upset. They're very upset. Now, how often do you read in the Bible that Jesus got upset? Where it records it. He got upset enough that he went into the temple and he drove out all those that had turned it into a den of thieves when it was supposed to be a house of prayer. But very, very seldom do you ever read of Jesus getting upset. But here is one occasion, and it speaks a lot to me of what Jesus felt. You know, what is God's view of children? Because it's not until we get God's view of children that we're going to appreciate them the way we're supposed to. You know these verses off by heart. Psalm 127, 3 to 5. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Now get this. Do you understand? God says, children are my heritage. They are my reward. Why? Why? Because God created them in the first place. God gave them life. God views children as his. They're placed in our care for a very, very, very small time. It goes on to say, as arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full, and they shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with them with the enemies. They shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Now, we read this, we know this, and I am amazed at how many times you read over this, and what immediately becomes a hang-up? Happy is the man that has his quiver full. How many in a quiver? What does a quiver hold? Any bow hunters here? What does a quiver hold? Six. Six children, you're a happy man. No, what the... We're, we're totally missing. It's saying here as arrows in the hands of a mighty man. And maybe we don't get some of this picture because today you can go down to the sporting goods store, you can buy a compound bow, you can buy a manufactured arrow that is going to fly straight and straight, straight and, and true. I grew up learning how to make bow and arrows myself. And we learned, I had two brothers, and, and we learned really quickly what saplings had the most resilience, which ones you could cut down and get the best draw weight of. And it wasn't hard to get some decent strings, some good twine, something to get a bow made. But let me tell you where the trouble started. It was in the arrows. We learned that cattails work pretty good. You go down to the swamp and you get those stalks and they're pretty dried and you can fletch them and you can put a head on them. But I will tell you this, there's a lot of squirrels that lived back in my day due to my inability to get an arrow to fly straight. 
There's the target, here I am, let the arrow go, wing, and the squirrel goes that way, laughing all the time. But the analogy here, that's what you're doing with children. Parents, you're fashioning, you're forming, you're influencing direction. And another great thing about the arrow analogy here is that once you've done all that, once you release, it's gone. You cannot recall it. It is, it is on a path. Children are but a gift from God. They're a huge responsibility. What are we going to do about developing this most precious resource? What influences can we have, should we have? Well, let's look at some steps here based upon these verses. I think, once again, like last night, this first step is probably almost too basic for us to really consider, but, oh, it's the most important step. What were these parents doing? They brought their children to Jesus. And Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me. And this is something that affects everyone. It affects parents. It affects grandparents. It affects the whole church at large teaching the faith to young ones. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And a lot of people want to claim this as a promise that you can force a child to go in the way of righteousness. What the Bible is saying here very clearly that if you put, if you instill, if you get into their core a knowledge of God and a knowledge of truth and what is right, a child will never lose that. They may rebel against it. They may go against it. But no matter how far they go inside of their heart, they know where truth lies and what is right. They'll never forget that way of truth. Now, do you notice it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Mom and dads, this is often where we fall into a pit. It's not the way that the world says he should go. It's the way the Word of God says he should go. And we understand that. But do you know, to my shame, to the shame of many parents, we have a desire for the best for our children. We all want them to have it a little bit better than what we did. And I have seen parents who have molded and shaped their children and sent them down a path that they wanted to go and never could. They never had the opportunity. So they decide, when my child comes along, well, let me just put it this bluntly. I have seen parents try to live out their dreams in the lives of their children. Heaven help us. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. God did not create that child for you to find fulfillment in where they wind up. God created them with a purpose and a plan that he has for them. And you know, there's a flip side of this. There's, there's parents that say, well, I think children should be free to decide for themselves. British poet Samuel Coleridge was entertaining a man at his home. And this man believed that no formal religious instruction should ever be given to children, that children should be allowed to grow up and see what's out there and decide for themselves. Samuel didn't disagree with him immediately. Instead, they carried on, and after a while, Samuel invited this man. He says, come on outside and see my garden. And he took him outside to this overgrown, wild, tangled weed patch. 
And his visitor looked at it and, and snickered and said, What? That's your garden? Well, Samuel, see, he said, You see, I didn't want to infringe upon its rights in any way. I wanted it to allow full expression. And his visitor understood the illustration. You allow your children to go whatever way they want. That's what you'll get. Because inside of us, the natural bent is towards that sin nature we have. And when it springs up, there's nothing lovely or to be desired in it whatsoever. You need to teach the faith. And let me tell you something about teaching the faith. It's very easy to be pious and to teach truth. There's something more important than teaching. And that is living the faith. The American Heart Association gets together. Periodically, I think it's annually, to have seminars. And a number of years ago, they got together down in Atlanta, Georgia, to discuss the value of a low-fat diet in the health of the heart. We all hear this, you know, fat's bad for you. And then they say, well, trans fats are bad, but these fats aren't bad. I, it, it's such a mix. But anyhow, at this, this convention down there, the reporters were covering it, and they discovered in the cafeteria at lunchtime that just like other conventions, the bacon cheeseburgers and the french fries were flying off the cafeteria racks just as quick as any other convention. And they latched onto this and they said, ha ha ha, here you are, 300,000 doctors and nurses and cardiologists, and you're all saying that the benefits of a, of a fat-free diet, and, and instead of having health food there in the cafeteria, you're all eating the junk food. And they went to one cardiologist and they just said, hey, don't you feel like a hypocrite here because you're, you're doing this? And he said, not me. He said, see, I took my name tag off. Brothers and sisters, how many times have we professed something to our children and then we go home or we get away from home, we go on vacation and sometime along the way there we just decide we're going to slip this emblem that says I'm a follower of Jesus Christ off and put it in my pocket and we're going to do, we're, we're, we're going to make an exception here. Oh, let me tell you, children are extremely smart. They know what you and I truly believe. Character is what you are when no one else is looking. They know what mom and dad truly stand for because, I'm going to say this bluntly, the exceptions I allow are what I really believe. I would never, never want to do that full time. But just this one. Where is my heart? You can say everything you want by your actions. You can destroy it in a heartbeat. A child will know whether you believe what you say. See, Paul had a very simple formula for growing strong Christians. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Be ye followers of me as I follow Christ. Can we say that to our children this morning? Follow me freely because I am wholeheartedly devoted to following Christ and I show them by my example. That's where I am. So often it's do as I say, not do as I do. You have to know what you 
truly believe. And then you've got to live it. Another way of teaching children is to answer their questions. You know, I'm almost forgetting this stage because our children are getting to the age where they have all the answers. But when they are young, children are great question askers. They're like sponges. They're just soaking stuff up. And they want answers to things like why the grass is green and the sky is blue and a host of things you probably don't have ready answers to. But I want to tell you something. Just because you don't know the answer, don't brush your child off. You'll never get a greater opportunity in life than your child coming to you, asking you, and willing to let you speak into their life. It's very, very easy to be busy and to say, well, we'll talk about that later, and, and, and you brush it off. Do you know, God knew, God knew that children ask questions. And then because of that, he actually commanded the children of Israel to do things to encourage that asking. When they crossed that river Jordan, were going into the promised land, the river was a flowing body of water, and the rocks inside there were smooth. And, and he was, Joshua was commanded by God, he said, you take a man out of every tribe, and they're all supposed to grab a rock. And you're going to carry these stones with you till you make camp tonight, and then you're going to set these 12 stones in a pile. And I can imagine... When that order went out, okay, we need somebody from the tribe here to pick out a stone, and they didn't pick the little scrawny guy to run to the litter. You know, they got the big Herculean guy, and they picked a big rock out of there, and they carried this, and they stacked them up. And God said, in years to come, you're, you're coming through here, your children are going to see this pile of round stones on their field, and they're going to say, hey, hey, mom, dad, what, what are these round stones about? God also told Joshua in the middle of the river to stack 12 stones just like that. And then parents could say, do you know what? This is because those stones come out of that river Jordan over there where there's a pile just like them. And that's the very place where we all pass through that Jordan on dry ground. No. Yeah, the river was parted and God led us right into this land. Wonderful teaching opportunities. Children will ask questions. You have communion. You have feet washing. You have a lot of observances where we take emblems and we, we remember something. Children watch with fascination. And they ask, Mom and Dad, why are you doing that? And it's a great teaching opportunity. Do you know, you've got to start young. And I, I know as parents, it's easy when they're young to just let them do their own thing. Children spell love T-I-M-E. When you get home from work, Dad, and the easiest thing would be to just sit in that easy chair and grab that paper or the Bible like we encouraged you earlier in the week. It might be good, even if you don't feel like it, to just get down on the floor and start playing with your children for a little bit. You're going to have to start a connection early. There are many, many parents who, as they watch their children grow up, see them get to these very pivotal teen years where they're making some of the most important choices in their life. They're deciding on occupation. They're deciding on a possible spouse if God leads them that way. And they're... they're 
deciding where they're going to live, and you want desperately to be able to speak into their lives, but they're not coming to ask you. They're making these choices. Now, the wise youth will always seek the advice of the parents, okay? Hear me this. But a lot of parents are wondering why their youth don't come to them asking questions because we inadvertently have established the fact Well, no, not that we don't care. We always cared, but we didn't take time when they were young to establish a relationship so a child knows they can come to mom and dad and ask, and mom and dad will answer. Even when it becomes some of those difficult questions in life that you're really not sure how to answer or how much to say, you've got to keep an openness there with your child. Encourage it. Nurture it. And then when your children get older, I assure you, that relationship will continue. You see, one of the most important reasons we need to focus on children. Do you know where the greatest harvest is in the kingdom of God? Children don't carry the sort of baggage grown-ups do. As we go through life, things affect us and we get We get baggage. Do you realize that 19 out of every 20 people who become believers do so before the age of 25? After 25, only 1 in 10,000 do so, and from 35, it's 1 in 50,000. The numbers just go down from there. Where is the greatest potential for the kingdom of God? It's in children. It's in Sunday schools, it's in vacation Bible schools, it's in having our own Christian day schools, being able to teach our children at an early age the faith. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist of the past century, and one time he was away at a meeting, he came back, and his host inquired how the evening had gone, obviously hadn't gone with him, and Moody says, well, it was pretty good, he said there was two and a half converts. That made the guy scratch his head a bit, he says, I guess, I guess you must mean there was two adults and, and a child. Moody said, no, there was two children and an adult. The children had their whole lives to give to Christ. That adult was already half gone. Back to our text here. It says, verily I say unto you, Jesus, when he was using children as an opportunity to bless them, also used them as an opportunity to be a teaching tool. Verse 15, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Now what exactly was Jesus talking about here? This has been a matter of debate, a great debate for, for scholars and, and theologians, preachers. They've all speculated. What quality exactly is it that Jesus is referring to here? Some would say that perhaps... It's humility. Well, if you know children, you know they're not all that humble. In fact, children are quite self-centered. They're selfish by nature. As proof of that, I offer you ten property laws of a toddler. Number one, if I like it, it's mine. Number two, if it's, if it's in my hand, it's mine. Number three, if I can take it from you, it's mine. Number four, if I had a little while ago, it's mine. Number five, if it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. 
Number six, if I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. Seven, if it just looks like mine, it's mine. Eight, if I saw it first, it's mine. Nine, if you were playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. Ten, if it's broken, it's yours. Some think that maybe Jesus was referring to, to innocence. We talk about the innocence of little children, right? Let me tell you something. Maybe my wife and I are unique, but we were kind of caught off guard at just how devious and conniving children can be. We learned early on in life that if one of our children came to us and asked one of us by ourselves a question that was anywhere out of the ordinary to ask them first if they had talked to the other parent. Because believe you me this, if a child doesn't get the answer he wants from dad, he goes to mom. Yeah, children, children are definitely devious. In fact, they have ulterior motives. How often will a child do whatever it takes to kiss and make up? You know, they know they're in trouble and they're all hugging and kissing out because they don't want any sort of punishment, you know. Some suggest obedience. Well, of course, if you have children, you know that one isn't even in the running. What is it? What is it that Jesus is referring to? That if you don't become like this child, it's pretty serious wording here. You won't enter into it if you can't receive the kingdom of God as a child. What is the defining characteristic of a child? It's trust. Trust. When that beautiful little baby is born, they are totally helpless. They are utterly dependent upon mom and dad to look after them. If you don't feed them, if you don't clothe them, if you don't shelter them, they're done. And they learn to trust. They don't worry about where the next meal's coming from. Maybe mom and dad are going through tough times and they're struggling to make ends meet. You know what? A child is oblivious to that. They know mom and dad will look after them. They're totally, utterly dependent. And that's the one characteristic that we have to have inside of us is that childlike trust, I'm going to call it faith. The belief and trust in God because it's easy. Trust me, as we get older, to get cynical. We, let me share with you a true story. Dwight Nelson tells us about his pastor. This pastor lived in a parsonage in a city. And he had a bit of a front yard there. And they had planted some trees and tried to make the place look decent. And one day the pastor looked outside and he saw a kitten had climbed up a tree in his front yard. Now, you all know kittens don't belong in trees, right, children? Kittens belong on the ground. And whatever had chased this kitten up in the tree, the pastor decided he's going to go down and make sure it gets safely onto the ground. So he goes out there and he coaxes the kitty down. Here, kitty, kitty. Kitty wasn't having anything of it. So he went inside, he got a little saucer of milk, and he brought it out and he set it on the ground and backed away a little bit. And Here, kitty, kitty. Kitty wasn't going to come down. Well, then... <laughs> This light bulb went on his head. And men sometimes watch when these light bulbs come on. The tree was too small for him to climb up into it to go after the cat. 
It was just a sapling type. But all of a sudden it twigged in his mind that if he got a rope and threw it up over that branch and then brought it down and tied it to the, the back of his car and drove forward, he could just simply bend this tree down and get the cat. So he did that. He went and got a rope, tied it over, tied it to his car, drove ahead a little bit, and the tree was bending over real nice there, and went back and almost reached the kitty here, kitty, kitty, but kitty wanted another was climbing even higher. So he thought, I'll just drive a little bit farther and uh, we'll be good. Then the car started driving and boing, before you could say catapult, the rope broke, the tree went flying, and the old kitty went sailing through the air with its paws outstretched. He saw all this in his mirror. And he was mortified at what he had just done. He started going through that community, asking people, have you seen this kitten? Have you seen this kitten? Nobody had seen the kitten. Despite feeling terrible, he finally said, Lord, I just commit that cat to you. And he went back around his work. Later that week, he happened to be in the grocery store, and he ran into one of his church members. And he happened to look in her shopping cart. I don't know if that's a temptation you have or not. You don't see what the neighbors are buying. Maybe gross ground pork was on sale or something. But in her cart, she had a bag of cat food. Now, that really caught his attention because this woman was an avowed cat here. And so he just queried. He said, I, I see you're buying cat food, and I know you don't like cats. He said, Pastor, i got to tell you something. He said, you may have a hard time believing this. But my little girl has been bugging me for a cat for a long time. And every time she asks, I tell her no. I tell her why. But it's not too long before she bugs me again. And she bugs me again. And she bugs me again. And finally, this past week, she was bugging me so bad, I finally told her, I said, listen, if God gives you a cat, you can have a cat. She said, Pastor, that little girl went out in the yard. She got down on her knees and she asked God for a cat. She said, and you won't believe it, this little kitten comes sailing through the air with her paws outstretched and landed right in front of her. I know it's humorous, but brothers and sisters, isn't that a beautiful... How many of us would have the faith to actually ask God for what seems like the impossible? And knowing God the way He does, that He had already made provisions through one man's foolish deeds to be sending that cat on its way. Jesus said, it's faith like that that is rewarded. That trust, that belief in God. You know, I'm convinced that one of the reasons that this world undervaluates children is the exact reason that God values them. That utter dependence, that helplessness before Him. Can you trust God with absolutely everything in your life? Yeah. Children are initially powerless. They're dependent. They take a lot of work. There's little return initially. But the potential is fantastic. Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah, He said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I ordained you to be a prophet. God had determined Jeremiah's life before He even created him. I told you way back in the first night, when God created each of us, he wrote a book. And in that is the road map, his plan for my life. 
I've shared with you freely this week how hard it is sometimes to know that you're resting in that, that you're not choosing your own path because you can do that. But I want to bring you back once again to developing this resource. You've got a lot of children here. God bless you richly as you raise them for him and parents. Tell your children early and tell your children often. God has created them. God has a purpose and a plan for them. And then do your best to help them find that pathway.